Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and AJ. Joining us now is a man who spent parts of eight seasons in the major leagues. He was the 1982 first-round draft pick, 16th overall of the Boston Red Sox. His work for the New England Sports Network, providing analysis on Red Sox post-game shows. His catchphrase was kapow, which he used every time a Sox player hit a home run. His newest venture, What Is Your Pregame, is an entertainment-slash-media-based business, which will give athletes and nutritionists a forum to educate in a fun and relaxed setting and gives fans an opportunity to interact with him. It is a pleasure to welcome the man they call the Fenway Fridge, Fenway Fridge, Sam Horn to WLA Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Sam. How you doing? What's up, guys? How y'all doing? We're doing good, and we want to take you way, way back to your high school days. You grew up in San Diego, and you went to Samuel F.B. Morse High School, where you were coached by Bob Mendoza, both in football and in baseball as well. What did Coach Mendoza mean to you at the early stages of, of your athletic career? Well, I think he basically put everything in perspective for me because at that time I was a young man, you know, seeking, you know, to just go to college, not really knowing uh, what was in front of me. But then after my coach, who was a bullpen catcher coach for the San Diego Padres, took us to a couple of games, I had a chance to beat Dave Winfield, in which he later became uh, a personal idol of mine, and I wanted to be just like Dave Winfield. So I look forward to hopefully having a chance to be drafted and, and make it to the major major leagues in which I had a chance to do that. Which is interesting because you're drafted in the first round right out of high school. And this was back in an era where very few teams used a first-round pick on a first baseman. Uh, Eddie Casco, the Red Sox scouting director, said this about you at the time. He reminds me of Cecil Cooper. He is a line drive hitter with a lot of power. When I saw him play the outfielders, they were all playing him at least 400 feet deep. That should tell you something. He was pretty on target. Um, the fact that you could also, you throw in the fact that you're also a 3.3 student and all city in football and all county in basketball, you know, th- those are some really good, you know, talking points when a guy goes in and says, we should draft this guy. What do you remember most about draft day? Well, what I remember most is, of course, I was in high school at that time, and uh, I went to school. I remember ESPN uh, at that time not being like it is today, where they were actually holding all type of, you know, draft uh, watch parties and stuff like that. However, I remember it being on the radio, and uh, my principal at school was listening to it just because I had told him, you know, I would hope just to be drafted, of course, not knowing what round or any of those things. But um, I had a few scouts that were coming to my school. They were asking me, you know, to do personal uh, workouts for them. They were, uh, of course, checking my curriculum for school to see if I was a real serious candidate to go to college, in which I was because I had a, you know, nice uh, GPA. So they knew that it was going to take something, you know, special to get me uh, from going to college and be a first-round pick out of high school. So uh, I just remember draft day being something that I really enjoyed because my actual principal uh, sent for me. Um, I didn't know why at the time uh, I came to the office and 
lo and behold, they had just said, hey, you've been drafted by the Boston Red Sox, in which at that time I barely knew where Massachusetts was, so it was pretty funny. You know what? It's interesting. That's probably the best person, the best thing that could ever happen to someone being called down to the principal's office. I don't think many people get called down to the principal's office to tell them that they're drafted in the first round. But it's interesting because you mentioned, you know, they were picking your brains about uh, what your GPA was and, and that you could go to college. You also had a full, you know, baseball football scholarship to University of Southern California on the table as well. Why did you choose to, to you know, forego that scholarship and go into the, the Red Sox farm system at that point? Well, first of all, i like to say, you know, thanks to God that, you know, it's, it's definitely an honor to be drafted in the first-round pick, you know, in the first round, meaning uh, it doesn't get any better than that. However, I just knew that I wanted to play sports, whether that would have been uh, baseball or football, Basketball was a sport that I played just because I was tall. Uh, it got me in great shape for baseball, and it was in between the seasons, so that's why I played basketball. But for me, it was it was all about baseball. I had put my time in. Uh, I definitely worked hard. I was 6'6", 225, with 3% body fat coming out of high school, running a 6'5", 6'6", 60, and that's why I was a first-round pick. So... I know that I have put my time in. I definitely look forward to the draft itself. But I just knew at some point that hopefully I would play sports, hoping that it was either baseball or football because those were my true loves. You know, if you go back, way back then to 1982, college ball and baseball thought of very differently than they are now. College was not uh, viewed as much a pathway to the major leagues as it is now. If you're good, you sign out of high school, whatever. If you were drafted out of high school today in 2018, would you have made the same choice, given that college baseball now has a different role essentially as a parallel minor league? Well, you know, I, I really can't answer that uh, truthfully other than, um, you know, my, my goal would have been to make it to the major league. So although any and all college opportunities would have been, you know, great for me uh, once I knew that I had a chance to be a first-round pick for any team. It wouldn't matter just because uh, I knew that that was the ultimate goal and you could get hired in the first-round pick. I had to take that. Plus, you know, I wasn't one of those kind of people or players where I could say that, you know, I definitely was a, a person or player that was so uh, financially challenged that I couldn't do anything my parents were not, you know, uh, parents that were, you know, definitely well off. But at the same time, they were rich in love. They were rich in, in giving me the knowledge to, you know, be able to have to go to school and know the right things to do. And, of course, to stay out of the streets and stay out of trouble. So, for me, that was enough to, to know that uh it was a privilege to be a first-round pick, and if I had it to do all over, I would probably take the same route just because it doesn't get better than the first round. If you just tuned in, we're speaking to former major leaguer Sam Horn. Interesting to note in that draft as well, another high schooler, Sean Dunstan. I mean, yeah. you don't. a lot of times the high schoolers don't pan out and make right. it to the majors. You have two real good ones in that first yeah. round. You had a pretty good first professional season, hitting a home run in your very first professional at-bat, and you came close to breaking the Elmira Pioneer record set by Lou Pinello for most total bases in one game as your 10 total base game off of one home run, three doubles, fell too short of lose 12. 
How was the adjustment for you? Uh, you know, well, you talk about the college game. Yeah. You know, but how's the adjustment for you going from the high school schedule where maybe you play three games in a week to the pro schedule where now you're playing six to seven games a week? Well, uh, it was definitely uh, something that I had to make an adjustment to. Uh, being from California, although we only played three or four uh, games a week uh, in high school, we had a chance to practice a lot. The weather was conducive to training and, and of course, preparing for uh, the games every day. So although we didn't play a lot of games, uh, we practiced a lot and we had a chance to, you know, sharpen our skills. And I would think that any place like a California, Texas, Florida would probably, you know, have the same type of uh, talent. So for me, uh, I was just happy to be in that area. And like you said, it definitely was something that gave us a chance to work hard and uh, uh, feel like you were more advanced than some of the people that were coming from colder weather areas. Now, I've talked with Mark for years <laughs> about my favorite minor league ballparks. One of my favorites is beautiful Dunfield in Elmira. So tell Mark about playing at Dunfield in Elmira. Well, I don't know what it's like now, but when I play, it wasn't my favorite. <laughs> I could say it was, uh, it was a place that I definitely uh, embraced because it was the first uh, 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 place that I played in for my minor league career. So I was very happy to be there. But I can tell you one thing about Elmira, it was cold. Yeah. Uh, we didn't have the best living quarters where we actually had to stay uh, in a girls and boys club. Uh, what people usually don't understand and know is when you first sign out of high school or college or whatever, your signing bonus is it. Whether you get a million dollars or you get one dollar, that's your signing bonus. And from there, every player basically almost gets the same amount. So if you didn't sign for a large signing bonus, uh, basically you were, you know, making two, three grand a month, if that. And once you start thinking about your living uh, quarters, food, uh, bills, especially at that time, I remember my phone bill was probably my biggest and largest <laughs> bill because I was calling my mom because that was my first time ever being away from And Elmira home. is not San Diego. There's a big difference between Elmira and <laughs> yeah, San Diego. So right? Elmira is definitely not San Diego. So when you think of all of the things to do for, you know, um, you know, uh, whether that's entertainment or anything, <laughs> Elmira is not the place. Uh, all I remember it being like a cold dun dungeon, but it was all good. You make the climb up the Red Sox minor league ladder, and you're in AAA at the time when the major league team is having a season that would end with them headed to the World Series. Was there ever a thought of you being a September call-up for that season just to experience, you know, just to be around that? Uh, I don't think so, only because, you know, uh, some players, of course, had that uh, in their contract, and most of those were guys that were college players. I didn't find it that too many um, high school players really had that opportunity to do that. So I didn't see that a lot. Um, you know, coming out of high school, like I said, it was an honor to, to have a chance to be, you know, chosen high. But unless you already had things like that in your contract, you didn't get a chance to be a September call-up. Um, I hadn't played you know, in the, in the minor leagues until I went to 
uh, Elmira, which was like extended, uh, like an extended season. So for me, uh, I think that to only have a month or two under my belt, they were not giving me that chance to to come to the show. However, uh, I was on the forty man roster, but it's not like it is today where you can kind of demand, hey. You know, I was a first-round pick. I want to be, you know, called up uh, tomorrow. So it just wasn't happening like that for me. The following season, 86, is a magical one for you. You become one of the most celebrated players in the history of the Pawtucket Red Sox by hitting 321, 30 home runs, 82 RBIs before July 15, 1986. Ten days later, you make your Major League debut, penciled in between Jim Rice and Dwight Evans. What do you remember most about that first game as a Major Leaguer? It's about time. That's <laughs> what I remember the most. Because uh, if you look at today's uh, players, there's not one player that had to go through what I went through. And what I mean by that is, uh, you know, to hit, uh, like you said, 30 home runs, 80-plus runs batted in, and batting uh, over 330, you know, you really never get a chance to do that because teams are calling you up well before that. So for me, it was a bittersweet because I know that I definitely deserved the opportunity to be called up, but I was not. So when I had that chance, and like you said, the numbers, and you know, I had a chance to, to actually start my first game and then be in the lineup, like you said, in between those type of hitters, I was hoping that they would protect me, meaning that's, you know, what everyone says, uh, you're going to be protected. You're in between uh, somebody that hits good in front of you, somebody behind you. But that part didn't really matter. It was just me having a chance to get in there, get my feet wet. Um, it was like I just was waiting because it was just so many days I have felt that I should have been there already. So by the time I actually made it up there, it was like, hey, this is where I was supposed to be three months ago, so I was very excited to be there. You know, you set a major league record hitting 10 home runs in your first 82 trips to the plate. Did that amazing start maybe put unrealistic expectations on you by the fans and maybe the media and the Red Sox and maybe cause you extra pressure going into that next season? Uh, no, I had no, no problems with that. I actually uh, had to make the team. Um, when I was coming up in 1988, uh, after the year I had, even in 1987, players like me just didn't get automatic opportunities. You had to once again come and prove yourself, in which I had like seven home runs in spring training the next year, and that's why, that's why I was able to, uh, you know, have a chance to stay in the major leagues, because you know, even back then, you know, it wasn't like a guarantee. You still had to prove yourself over and over and over again. And, you know, I was up for the challenge, but it was no easy task, believe me. And you mentioned that. In December of 89, the Red Sox release you. You're signed with, you then signed with the Orioles. Your first game with Baltimore is a pretty memorable one. You hit two home runs in that game. You drive in six runs. The second home run was with uh, Bob Melvin's bat. But that day was pretty emotional for you as well. Can you tell our audience a little bit about that game and why it was so emotional for you? Well, it was emotional for me because I, of course, uh, was looking for my chance to make it back to the major leagues. 
uh, after doing some pretty nice things, I thought with the Red Sox, I didn't get a chance to continue to play. So when I went to the uh, Orioles, they said, hey, we would like to uh, have you as our DH. But my mother had just had a stroke. So I had to go see my mom, family before anything. So I went to go see her for about three or four days. Uh, the Orioles actually sent out a plane and said, well, you know, we have uh, our plane coming back. We'd like to stop through and pick you up in uh, San Diego, but we need you back here. The season starts in about five, six days, and if you're going to be a part of our team, we need you here. And I just remember my mom saying, hey, I'll be okay, son. Just go ahead on and go back. So with a heavy heart, I went back to the team continue to do pretty, you know, to do well in spring spring training, which gave me the chance to be the opening day DH in 1982, which, like, in 1990 at that time, in which it gave me, you know, every opportunity to, to play. Um, I hit a couple of home runs. Uh, they were very memorable because Brett Saberhagen, who was a really good pitcher, he's a, um, you know, uh, Cy Young winner, I think a couple of years, and I remember him saying to to Sam Horn, I mean to a couple of players or people about Sam Horn. He goes, George Bell and Sam Horn is the only two musical instruments that I don't want to see her. So that made me feel good. That's funny. It's interesting to me that I think most people, when they hear the name Sam Horn, they instantly think Red Sox. But you actually played 160 more games as an Oriole than a Red Sox. You had your best year statistically as an Oriole under Frank Robinson and Johnny Oates. What did playing for Frank Robinson mean to you? It just meant someone gave me a chance to play. I, I love every team that I played with. Uh, of course, I love the Orioles because uh, they gave me the most opportunity. I hit the Red Sox because they drafted me. But um, don't get it twisted. The only way that you really make it is by going out there and playing. Uh, in today's world, I see and know that there's a lot of fans that make a lot of money that, you know, sit on the bench. Back when I was playing, you know, you were making thousands instead of millions. So you needed to play so that you could put the numbers up so that you could get paid the following year. And that's the point that really hurt me because when I came to the OEA, they gave me a chance to play. And when I played for the Red Sox, although they did high, they gave me, you know, a couple of opportunities to play. I basically went to the and I said on the bench a lot. So that's my memory with the Red Sox and, of course, with the other teams I played with. We're having a little trouble with your audio. So, you know, you get back to the fact that you played more games. You had your best season in the Orioles. To this day, you remain a cult hero around Boston where, as a player we mentioned in the Open, you were known as the Fenway Fridge. There's a website set up in your honor, sonsofsamhorn.com. Boston fans still love you. And those fans now have an opportunity to interact with you on your now uh, new um, venture. What is your pregame? Yeah, no, Can you let, tell let, let, audience- Let's talk for some pregaming to your son and mine means something very different what Sam's talking about. Pre-game right. is what you do before a party. Exactly. This is very different. Different. So tell our fans what, what you, is your pregame is and how they can interact with you. Well, what is your pregame is, uh, is a concept that we came up with because every player, uh, whether they're uh, someone like you said, going to a game, a party, an event, uh, whether you're going to a for work, uh, don't be prepared, prepare to fail. So what we 
gives everyone an opportunity to really think about the things that it takes to be successful. And one of the things, because you asked me what is my pregame, my pregame was all about visualization because it gave me a chance to look at different situations that I hope came up during the game that I know or knew I would possibly be in. So I already said to myself, hey, if this happened, I want to do this. Uh, I thought about the different type of pitchers or people who might come in to face me. So for me, what is your pregame? It's all about pregame preparation for high-performance success. And it doesn't matter what type of business you're in, whether you're a CEO, celebrity, or athlete, this basically talks about how you should prepare to be I think we might have lost them. Sam, you there? Can you hear me? Oh, yeah, we got you back. Yeah. You, you threw the tunnel. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're the Callahan Tunnel I'm, now. I'm actually, on, I'm actually on my way from Newport. I'm in uh, Rhode Island, so I'm on my way coming back from yeah. uh, Newport. So sorry if you're... No problem. We're, we're good now. Uh, where, where can people find the information about what is your pregame? You can always go on our website, which, which is whatisyourpregame.com. And also we have another uh, um, app that we have, which is called Snap Call Sports, which is a follow your favorite team, whether that's the Yankees or Red Sox or whoever. And we're slowly getting some of the past athletes to be on as a game caster so that you can talk live or text live communicate with some of the ex-players, but Snapcall gives you a chance also to answer questions. It's kind of like trivia, but the difference is on our uh, app, in most apps, and that's why it's called Snapcall, you get 25 seconds to answer a question, <laughs> and the questions are not questions that you can Google. So the questions are real time, and I'll give you an example. The question might be... Um, the next hitter is Mookie Betts. Will he fly out? Will, it, will he hit a ground ball? Will it be a base hit? And, you know, will he score a run? So I ask you questions that pertain to the game. That In real time. That's very cool. As plays out, you can actually get the answers. Awesome. All right, we look forward to it. We'll check it out. Sam, thanks so much for your time tonight. We would love to have you on maybe towards the end of the month to talk about Yankees, Red Sox, and, and playoff implications as well. We really appreciate your time tonight and the awesome new website, What Is Your Pregame? Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Mark and AJ, you guys are doing a great job. I'll continue your success with what you're doing. And uh, I guess I can see you You got it. We'll speak to you soon, Sam. Sam Horn, former New York, former Boston Red Sox and Baltimore Oriole, did not play for the New York Yankees, although he would have been a, a, a fan favorite here as well. I think he's got that personality. Yeah.